Hello everyone, you're listening to Mastermind.fm with your host, John Gallia of WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator. James Laws is away on business, but today John is joined by the Australian-based Bryce Adams, who's here to talk about his journey towards founding Matoric. So Bryce, welcome to the show, Mastermind.fm. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. And uh, for those who don't know you yet, it would be great to have just a, a, bit, a bit of a background about you, where you're based, first of all, and how you ended up creating Metoric. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, right now I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, which is my home. But uh, for a long time, I was kind of like a digital nomad, um, lived all around just kind of traveling and working as I went. Um, that was possible because my first like kind of real job in the WordPress space was at uh, WooThemes. At the time, it was WooThemes, um, even though I did work on WooCommerce. Uh, I started there doing WooCommerce support. Um, after, it was probably like four months, I started doing more, I, I started like getting more into development um, and was doing some third-party um, Woo plugins. And then eventually I kind of said, okay, guys, like I want to do this full-time. Is there a role for me where I can... Um, do developer work, development work, like on a daily basis. Uh, after it's probably like six, six to nine months of being there, uh, they let me move. So I was doing that for a while, um, which was really great. Then Automatic came along and acquired Woo, um, and I joined them doing the same thing, pretty much the same thing, just traveling a little bit more. <laughs> um, yeah, and then after that, it was probably another year. Um, and around end of August last year, that's when I left Automatic to start Metric to, you know, do my own thing. Um, so, it's, yeah, in my head, it feels like it's a, there's a lot like to my like kind of like last few years. But when I like, put it like that, it's interesting to kind of just realize like how kind of like few events there are, but how they can make up so much of your life. Mm, very interesting. And uh, we, we've also talked about digital nomads people living the digital nomad lifestyle in previous episodes. I was doing that for six years almost. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've just recently settled in Barcelona or at least for now. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it starts. So which were your favorite places? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I really like Thailand. I spent a lot of time in Thailand, Mm -hmm. Laos, um, just around Southeast Asia in general, when I was just kind of traveling, um, not so much working really, but it just spent a, a lot of time there. So I became very comfortable. I could um, speak like Thai. So it was very easy to travel around there. Like it almost felt like a, a second home. Um, besides from that though, I've been quite fortunate to do a lot of, mainly a lot of like conferences um, in my time at Woo and mm-hmm. Automatic where I would um, either sometimes just go and represent them um, or speak, but in doing that, I got to go to a lot of cool places, um, especially as well on like team meetups. I'm trying to think my favorites. I, I have quite a lot of good memories of going to um, Mumbai and Nepal. Um, there was, I was there mm-hmm. for word camps. Um, I've been to Japan a couple of times for conferences. It's also quite a fun place to go to, just so different. Um, even having like lived in Asia for so long, it's, it's pretty fun to go to Japan because it's like, it's right there, but it is so different to the rest of Asia. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess, oh, I do remember fondly like WordCamp Europe, I think it was 2000 and I think 15 um, in Seville. I think yeah. it was 2015. Yeah, yeah was that was great. I, I had a lot of fun there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
but there are definitely quite a few which I, i'm very like nice, nice yeah fortunate to have those f- memories mm-hmm. yeah in fact i'm remembering now that i think i had gotten in touch when you were still in bangkok because i was in chiang mai oh we were so was close like <laughs> two years ago or so yeah cool <laughs> but we never actually met no unfortunately uh, so how is Japan? I'm curious. Is there are like lots of usage of WordPress or was it just yeah, it's like stuff that you did there? I, I, it just felt like, I guess the community there is just so engaged. It's like maybe they have, even if they did have similar numbers to another community or another country, the community there is just so engaged, so uh, like passionate about WordPress and about open source software that it almost feels like it's a lot bigger than it probably is but then again like the um the word camps there are huge like i think i was in i was in there for word camp kansai um which was i think there were like 800 people there uh, and that was a really cool word camp mm. because not only was it like just really well organized and and just a, a really nicely run word camp it was completely free um which is is pretty uh i guess like it's not not really common for it to be like a free word camp because they just have like inherent costs involved and i think in a lot of different countries that you you need a sort of there there is limited space like there might be only 200 or 300 spots available so i guess charging for tickets makes sense because it sort of filters out the people that aren't really engaged and might just show up to try market their own product or or just like might say they're going to come and not come um but i think those kind of issues well, they aren't an issue in, in the Japanese community. Like if someone says they're going to come, they're going to come. Um, people don't abuse. <laughs> yeah. And people don't abuse like the kind of trust and um, that has like been given to them by letting them come to a work camp. So they're just really grateful to be there and, and they do their best to contribute, uh, which is probably why it's possible to have it free. But it just kind of shows like how strong the community is. And, and just personally, like I felt like very, um very comfortable there i don't know i was just like treated really well um but then again like i've had the exact same experience specifically at word camps all around asia like mumbai and nepal they're some of my best memories of word camps just because everyone's just so passionate and they're just so like grateful to be able to get together and talk about wordpress in that way so it's i mean it, it doesn't have to be wordpress it could be anything but just seeing um people with that much passion all together it's really really great yeah, in fact, I like to to like combine my travels with where it comes rather complex, yeah. <laughs> which makes it hundred percent awesome. But I'm, I'm curious, like in Japan, is it uh, conducted in English or Japanese? That's a good question. Yeah, um, I think now what they've been doing at the work camp I was at, and then um, mm-hmm. Tokyo, the main one every year. I'm pretty sure they do like it's mainly in Japanese, but they might have an English track or it's like specific English talks. Um, right. one thing that it did was pretty cool in Kansai was like, kind of like live translating. There were probably four of us mm-hmm. doing talks in English. Um, but each of us had, uh, a local community member up there on stage with us, kind of like, as we'd say something, they'd translate it. It wasn't in real time. It was almost like you gave a talk with someone. Um, I gave one, when I gave mine there, it was with a good friend of mine who I'd known like long before, um, that word camp Shinichi. Um, and when when we were doing it, it was just like kind of fun because it felt like he was giving the talk just as much as me. Um, 
yeah so i think it's a pretty fun format it, it does delay like how long the talks take so it's probably better suited for like shorter 15 minute talks so they become a 25 30 minute one mm-hmm. but i don't know i think it's really fun because you get everyone engaged at the same time um of course like the ultimate way to do like that kind of translation is sort of like how WordCamp Europe and the bigger ones do it where it's you know in real time with the headphones but even then it's kind of like two people listening to different people talk at the same time while with that format everyone's listening to the same people it's just you only understand half of what you're hearing awesome so that's definitely gonna be on my plans yeah i really recommend it yeah it's also another place (laughs) i want to visit all right back on uh, back on what we originally were talking about my first two big questions about Materic mm-hmm. is number one, why you decided to go for a SaaS app? Yeah. And secondly, how did you like gauge the, the, the initial investment in terms of time and money if, if also relevant? Yeah, of like course. most people try to build something really small in terms of a free plugin and then side the, the engagement for that. Yeah. But you just dedicated a couple of months uh, directly for it i imagine so yeah i <laughs> was the thought process behind that that's a great question so i guess the first part of that was uh, specifically about like uh, sorry what was it the first part was about so i, I guess the first one to start about yeah. is how you came to like imagine okay. uh, this the, product the in your head and how you decided to dedicate yeah the time the resources to it. in terms of money and time i guess the first part yeah metric and, and especially now i'm remembering why i built it as a SaaS. um Really, there's just like, I, I've been in the WooCommerce space now for a couple, well, now it's almost like three years. Um, and I've worked with some pretty big stores, including, you know, WooCommerce.com, one of the biggest ones. And I guess like a constant theme I would see stores um, struggle with, um, even us, was really it came down to like analytics, reporting, understanding all the data um, that was coming into WooCommerce and actually being able to act on it. And then just general efficiency, like how um, fast WooCommerce.com will, I sort of watched it go from a small team of maybe like six or seven people in support to um, 30, 40. But that whole time, like whether it was six people or 30 people, one of the biggest issues we would have um, was kind of just like the efficiency, like when you're doing support tickets, knowing information about the customer, if you need to do a refund, need to change like order statuses, those kind of actions would take up so much time that doing a ticket that really should take a few minutes would end up taking 10 or 15 minutes. Um, So that kind of stuff is definitely, it was definitely just like frustrating for me to experience and to watch other people experience. So that was a big um, push for it. Why I built it as a SaaS is a great question. Um, (laughs) Mainly just because I don't think it would have been possible to do what I had in mind for it as a plugin. Um, when When it comes to like what metric, core focus is which is like analytics and and kind of determining insights from all that data it, it is really quite a lot of work um into the processing and, and just and finding like the trends inside of all that information that it's something you could probably do in a plugin but it would be a lot slower a lot less efficient but that's really just like one thing one of the main benefits i think to doing a SaaS, well there are so many but like one that really stands out is it's kind of just like how you have the freedom as the developer of that product to iterate on it and and to release new features and fixes whenever you want. You're not on anyone's schedule. There's no versioning. There's no um, trying to make sure it's like semantic and, and people aren't just getting updates with breaking changes. Uh, there's no impact on their side. Like There are just so many benefits. To me, it's almost a question of like, why not? 
build a SaaS? Like, what? Why should I build a plugin? Um, just really what it comes down to, and like what one of my like driving focuses is. Basically, I ask myself like, will doing this help my customers like succeed, or will it help their experience be better? Um, if it doesn't, then I don't do it. But if it does, and like building a SaaS is something that does help them succeed, then that's all I'll think about doing. Um, similarly, with other features, like how I kind of prioritize features, that's always at the kind of the front of my mind. Like, okay, will this help them? Yes. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but there was one thing I forgot to mention kind of when you brought it up before that question about kind of how metric came about. Um, yeah, like when, when I first wanted to do that, right, it was probably, oh, I'm trying to think now, time, you know, <laughs> it's hard to keep track of it. Um, it's probably over two years now when I first had that like original idea, okay, this is a problem, analytics and stuff with WooCommerce is bad, I want to try to fix it. Um, this is back at Woo, so I did like a kind of beta not beta, but it was it was a really, really basic MVP where it pretty much just used the API, the WooCommerce API to take the data out and, and to kind of like have a nicer user interface and show like the reports and key metrics. Like that was all it really did. Um, and then, so that was back at Woo a couple of years ago. I kind of brought it to them and, and there was definitely a lot of interest, but I guess at the same time, there was like the thought, okay, we didn't, I didn't know that at the time, but the thought from the team there, like, okay, we're going to, we're in the process of being acquired by automatic. Let's like take a step back and not do anything. But there, yeah, there wasn't really much, I guess, interest while I was there to do it. Um, I, I did really push for it. So it was one of those situations where like, I, I personally, I probably would have preferred at the time um, when I hadn't done anything to have just done it there and had that support of that big team. Um and the resources, I guess, is is a really big thing because uh, that kind of leads into the next question you asked. But yeah, at the same time, I guess there wasn't really the desire to do a product like that. But personally, just from my experience, like in the WooCommerce space, I felt like it was not even just a problem that needed to be fixed, but like really a core issue that if we wanted the WooCommerce project to succeed going forward, it needed to be solved, um, which is why I was able to like kind of push myself to to give up that kind of position and job to do it because it felt like to me there was two options it was either stay there and not do it um and just have this idea in my head and this problem exists for store owners and that just be the end of it um and just keep doing the work i was doing which definitely helped a lot of users but i don't think it would ever come close to having the kind of impact that i felt metric could have um or of course you know give that all up and take a risk that might not pay out um but at the same time it felt like so when I went, while I had those two options, it really did feel like for a long time, that was my only option, like leaving and doing this is the only way forward, just because there was too much at stake for the WooCommerce project, for WooCommerce users, and just for my own like sanity, I had this idea, I needed to do it. <laughs> and I'm sure you, you know, anyone listening and you can probably like, like appreciate that feeling where there's like something you want to yeah. do and you're not really going to let anything get in your way to try to do that. So yeah, then you mentioned, then you were asking about like, um, kind of like how I set myself up to just like leave and do it all at once. Automatic has a pretty strict policy that I think is quite well known in the community where they don't support like the idea of side projects, um, of anything that could be deemed a potential conflict of interest. Um, definitely metric would have been a conflict of interest, which is why it was never even on the table. Um, but that kind of uh, policy like reaches a lot further than just like conflict of interest. Really, it's just any any project that is like a side project, and especially to do with software, like it's not really encouraged, um, and you're not really able to do those kind of things. Which is why you don't see, while there are like 
you know, hundreds of really talented people there. You don't see many side projects coming out of um, automatic employees. It's not an option for them um, unless it's completely free and then they don't really own it. So I guess there isn't that that would kind of explain that. But then so for me, it was never really an option to do any side projects there, um, which is why I sort of like was given that one option. Like if I want to do this, you know, idea from years ago, do I leave or do I stay and not do it? Um, so that's probably why I, <laughs> why I did it all at once. I had no, I had no option. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I was confident enough that while it would take me a few months to get something built, that it was worth that initial like sacrifice of time and resources. Um, I sort of, you know, mapped it all out in my head. Like, okay, if, if, this is what I want to build. This is going to take this many months. This is how much money I need to survive for that many months. Um, and just, it's almost like you've got like two charts in two, like, um, lines or like chart lines in your head. And I'm just trying to like make sure that while my money goes down, the product goes up and they sort of like intersect. And then I'm able to, to release it while still having some money in the bank and then eventually start selling that product. So I can go from negative to even to positive. Um, <laughs> It was, yeah, it was very rough like that. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it worked out. Awesome. Um, um, if we were to be a bit more practical and because I understand the whole um, idea behind it, but yeah. perhaps there would be listeners who have done this step in the past and it all like crashed, yeah. <laughs> crashing down in a few months. Yeah. <laughs> and others who have been just lucky, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so if we were to like, if you were advising someone who has this great idea on his head and is tempted to try it, you know, maybe leave an existing job yeah. or just even dedicating time as you said you're dedicating six months and building something you have no income yeah you know there's pressure from your family from yourself exactly so how do you project mm. how do you first first make sure that the idea is valid enough i guess in yeah. your case you had a lot of validation from the team itself even though the powers that be didn't want to yeah pursue the idea yeah. i imagine that many others encouraged you to build it yeah exactly that's that's a really good question I think my first advice, 100%, is just like if you're in a job where they, maybe they don't encourage, but they allow side projects. I mean, if you go home from mm -hmm. your work, it's like 10 o'clock at night, you've got your own like computer and you want to do some work, like, and they're, and you're able to do that, do that for sure. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, building stuff while you have um, an existing income is a lot easier. One of the first projects I did, um, when I was still at Wu, uh, Wu wasn't as strict about side projects, was something called Nomad SMS, which was like kind of like a SaaS. Um, I gave a talk about it at WordCamp Europe in 2015, uh, but it was built on WordPress. And, and, and that was something I built, I was able to build in a few days, but I did it while I was still working at Wu. I did it on my weekend. <laughs> I remember I like left on the Friday, like stopped working on Friday. I was done by Monday. Um, but that was definitely possible and easier because I had that, comfort of the job um so if you have that definitely use it like it's it's very noble to want to like quit your job to go and and do something you're really passionate about but it wouldn't be my first choice for sure it was something i did because there was no other option um but yeah i mean if you if it comes down to that where you do have no option and it's like quit and do what you want to do or don't do it i think you've got to be really practical like you said about kind of ensuring that it will be that it, it's validated, that it will pay off. Um, there's a lot of ways to do that, but I think really just looking, besides for just talking to people and, and gauging their interest, 
um, the key thing is probably just looking for existing products that do a similar similar thing, but not as well as you feel that you can do it. If they're existing and the, the, maybe they've been around for a few years and they're um, they've got money coming in, like okay, that means it's validated. People are paying for it. They're not paying you yet, but they will. I think that's a key part to it. But also, there's a lot more to it, I suppose. Like once you validate it, it's like okay, that's one thing you can build it, and people might pay for it. But then you've got to build it. So I wouldn't suggest to anyone who doesn't feel confident, like they have the, I guess, the skills or the background to build something. Don't leave and try to do it just yet. Like when you have a job, you're in a very fortunate position that you can do a lot of good work and help a company and get paid for it, but at the same time, learn a lot. Um, when I started, I had like really not much experience as a developer, um, but I, I kind of learned that all in the job. And I think a lot of developers have that same experience where they're working somewhere and they're doing their job, but at the same time, they're learning a lot. Um, so yeah, that would be a part of it as well. And then of course, the last thing is just like money. <laughs> it's a, a key factor in anything. If you're young, uh, maybe you don't have like obligations, like a family or uh, a home or, or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a proven strategy. It works. Go to Thailand, go to anywhere, anywhere that's that you can live for like under um, a couple thousand dollars a month. Like that's fine because getting to one or two thousand dollars revenue um, a month is really not that difficult in um, the WordPress or like kind of tech industry. I can appreciate what some people might disagree with me on that, but just like if you have the ability to build um, a product, even if it's a really simple one, you have the ability uh, to kind of make something from nothing and getting to that first level, which is enough to kind of survive in a country like that. It's not, it's not, I don't think it's like as difficult as trying to, build a company in America or, or Europe where like your, your monthly cost might be several thousand dollars. Um, but then of, of course, like, you know, if, if it's <laughs> of, of, like building a product, it takes time for me. Metric didn't make any money until try to calculate it. It was like probably four months after I started it. Um, if money becomes an issue in that time, like it is quite easy to, to get work as a freelancer in the WordPress space. If you, competent <laughs> like i definitely see a lot of people offering their services on like fiverr.com um they're probably not as good as someone listening to this podcast who's like really committed their career to it so i think like if you have that goal to build this kind of product whatever that product is okay it's going to take time to get revenue to a point where it sustains itself but there are ways to sustain yourself um without that product revenue freelancing uh, taking on small part-time jobs like i think it shouldn't be a matter of pride. It should be a matter of like, this is what I want to build. If I need to do freelance work that I don't love doing, I'll do it. And even for me, like that was something I definitely had in my mind. It was a contingency that I was fortunate I didn't have to exercise, but I was always thinking, okay, if by let's say February metric was only doing under a thousand dollars a month in revenue, I'll take on a bit of freelancing work. Um, I kind of had little jobs here and there lined up or options for me. So I would definitely recommend having, having those backup plans in place. Mm, you said something very interesting here and I want to latch on to that because mm -hmm. when I was in Thailand and you might have experienced this a lot uh, as well, sorry. Um, there were a lot of people just getting by, you know, with their yeah. like $800 a month one thousand whatever yeah just doing something that got them to that level of survival yeah but never going beyond and i i saw yeah. them like living this great life having a few beers eating the pad thai uh -huh. 
and putting in some work. But I think what was missing in their case was this kind of benchmarking and targeting that you mentioned, like having this target, if it doesn't reach this amount of revenue in this month, then it's something is wrong. I need to change tactics, Mm -hmm. pivot or do something else or, you know, do something that changes the course of the product. Yeah. And I'm curious as to whether you planned these benchmarks and monitored the KPIs along the way while yeah. developing the product. But I mean, yeah, what you said is really interesting just because I, I did definitely saw the same thing. Um, a lot of time while I was working, like traveling and working around Thailand, I would also see the same thing. Um, while I, I was already at a job um, at Automatic most of the time, so I would kind of see them maintaining a similar lifestyle to me, but with, I suppose, a little bit more, not stress, but like there, there was more like, need to work and to like reach certain levels of revenue otherwise they couldn't pay for their rent that month (laughs) i don't know that's not really like a great way to live i think um because it distracts you from what your focus is which is like building a product um so uh, scraping by is good but i wouldn't say that's where you stop like even for me now personally i'm metrics now kind of getting to the point in revenue where it's sustaining my lifestyle so that like if if it didn't grow any further i'd be okay like I'll be able to eat, I'll be able to sleep somewhere. So it's also very easy to, to while I was there and I was, I wouldn't say I was judging, but I was kind of like observing the same thing as you where they'd reached that level where it was, you know, a thousand a month, pays rent, pays food, and then kind of just let it sit there. I can definitely see myself probably making the same. Well, it's like easy not to make, I wouldn't say a mistake, but to to, cop, to follow that like path and, and do the same thing because you don't have that same motivation anymore. It's not about like survival. It's about growth which is a little bit harder to push you forward. And I think like with all kind of like companies and products, there is that stage, right, where you're starting and you need to get to being sustainable. That part is all about survival. Once you've reached that point, it's about growth. Then eventually you're able to bring on, you know, maybe an employee. Maybe that's 10 or 15,000 monthly recurring revenue as a company. That's where you're like, okay, time to bring on someone. And then it's a process of slowly bringing on more and more people. But as soon as you bring on your first person, it goes from being about growth to about almost like survival again, because now it's not just you mm-hmm. by yourself. It's you and your team. So I think it's probably one of the, maybe the most difficult parts of a company is kind of that point where it's able to sustain an individual, um, but it's not able to sustain multiple individuals. Like that's just like a really weird point in time where there isn't as much motivation but at the same time there's like you're doing a lot more work by yourself yeah it's really interesting to think of it like that but your question was something completely different right (laughs) no i mean as we were speaking i also realized that i've seen people and perhaps i was initially going to fall into the same trap when i went to thailand that like you're earning your amount in your own country then you go to thailand you're suddenly living like a king yeah but the income has stayed the same yeah as you go along might be the case that you're actually created your own self exile yeah no you're home because right. you can't go back home now exactly because <laughs> <So, laughs> you won't be able to maintain a similar level so exactly now you're stuck in uh, and then you've got to ask yourself Thailand or well, wherever what, what if be. you what if you don't get let back into the country or your next trip like it starts to put a lot of things into perspective where it's like, okay, I'm really comfortable here, but this is not my home. I don't have a passport for this place. Me personally, I spoke Thai. Like I studied there um, under an education visa and, and really like I felt done my part to kind of um, live there in a respectful way. Um, But at the same time, like I always had the same thought, like what if, yeah, what if I can't live here anymore? Like I need, those other options so yeah but uh, i remember we started speaking about this part just because we were kind of talking about if you were going off to do this like (laughs) advice 
yeah i i don't know i would recommend people like definitely experience that kind of digital nomad life if they're fortunate enough to be able to but yep. keep it as an experience rather than a forever thing because it's even like a lot of my friends who have been you know digital nomading for years and years like now they're looking for a way to settle down but it might be a little bit difficult for some of them because they've adjusted to that lifestyle of one to two thousand dollars a month in costs and now like they need to suddenly settle down which is a pretty stressful thing um while doubling their revenue it's a lot of work to do so yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't get too comfortable <laughs> All right, so yeah. uh, let's get back to the product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like you to like us walk us through, and you do a very good job about this on your site, where you <laughs> like group the KPIs and stuff that you that Materica offers. Thank and you. So we have like for understanding, for customer service, for yeah. acting on data, for efficiency. Yeah, yeah. If you could walk us through all those uh, sections. Yeah, for sure. That's actually something I've kind of. I think I only put that live. Would have been a couple of weeks ago now, um, but it, it was something on my mind since I started where, you know, you start with a product, it's always like big, big kind of message at the top, sign up button, maybe a little like icon and then under you just kind of list each feature one by one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the standard way to launch a product and metric was no exception. <laughs> um, but then as people started to use over the last couple of months and I spoke to them, I was kind of identifying what their key, what they like main like purpose in using metric was or what they were getting out of it um when they used it what their goal was and and what it was solving for them um and that kind of made me realize basically like what what the key features of the product are and then like what it does for them and i want to sell people on that because it's easy to say okay metric lets you export stuff but why is that valuable why does that help them improve their revenue why does it help make things more efficient yeah so once I kind of realized, had that little epiphany, I guess, um, I started and to... If I, if I might stop yeah, you, if I might stop you here on this one, because I think it's very important. So yeah. sometimes there are products which are obvious to everyone, but sometimes there are other products where you need to educate the user. And uh, while in business in general, KPIs are no new thing mm. within WordPress, I think it's quite new to see like people implementing this kind of dashboard. <laughs> of course, people have been using things like gecko board and other tools yeah but i haven't seen it being that common at all especially since most wordpress businesses are quite small yeah so they might not feel the need for it that much no but obviously right. there is the need there, so how there do you is educate them well I, I guess like wordpress as a as a community is growing up they're kind of realizing that things they don't have to accept the things the way things are like that there are other ways to to grow their site and, and run their businesses and with that is coming that like understanding about okay well if i want to grow up and i want to build a bigger company off this platform like what how do i do that and yeah eventually that that comes up maybe it's from somewhere else where they kind of realize okay i need to know <laughs> pretty it's it's pretty funny to think about but they're like okay now i need to realize how much i'm making like before now it didn't really matter i just kind of look what would come in my bank account every month but kind of like looking at your growth and, and just one of the most simple metrics is like your customer lifetime value. Like what's the average customer worth that dictates so much about how you run your business. Because once you know how much your average customer is worth, you know how much you can spend to acquire customers through advertising and other means, um, or how much value should be like put into that kind of process of acquisition and, and, and just basically getting more customers. Um, but a lot of businesses don't, I guess don't, even think about that until they're really serious about growing so it's hard because i've got to like 
not only do I have to sell them on metric being the solution, but I've got to sell them on needing a solution to begin with. I think I've started to do a lot more of that through blog posts. Content is like really the best way to get that message across because like just for example, I'm looking at the site now. I've got blog posts I did it's probably a couple of weeks ago. It's calculating WooCommerce LTV or average revenue per user. It's a blog post mm-hmm. where I pretty much just have a couple sentences about why that it's a useful metric, pretty much what I just said in terms of knowing how much you can acquire customers for. And then I talk about how to calculate it manually and then how metric can do it for you automatically. That has definitely like been a useful resource resource for me to share with customers when they ask me like how do i calculate that why is it important um that's like i don't have many articles to be honest just because you know i, I do have a limited amount of time but going forward that's really where i want to invest my energy in in th- that part of educating them about the the important metrics about why they need those metrics about how to get those metrics maybe they don't need to use metric if you're a small store like doing 10 orders a month you can probably calculate the LTV manually. You don't need to know in real time what your LTV is or how it's changed. It's not going to make a huge difference to you because you're small. I don't want people to have like five or ten dollars a month to have to pay me twenty dollars a month for those numbers. So um, I like to think that by putting out these blog posts and resources, it'll help. Oops, sorry, it'll help um, smaller stores as well, just because um, they don't need to pay to get those metrics that will help them get to the point where they do need to pay to get those metrics if that makes sense um i look at it as kind of like i'm investing in them and i'm not going to have an immediate gain from it um but ideally like they'll uh grow from the resources i provide and then later be able in a, in a situation or position where they can um use metrics yeah, I think for, for me, in our case, the real need for metrics came about as we started growing and it's it start, stopped being just me developing our products and grew into having a team. Suddenly yeah. I'm inv- uh, investing right. thousands a month in salaries and freelance costs. So now I want to make sure that everything is running efficiently and I'm not spending money for nothing, you know? So that's when the need for data and not only data, but the understanding behind it uh, makes a lot of sense then. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And like, so of, of course, like educating people about why they need analytics is one thing. But at the same time, like I didn't want to kind of place the whole product on a bet. Like, can I educate people enough that to, to, to for them to realize that they need it? Um, which is why like I have those other focuses. So, you know, it starts from under, for understanding. But then one of the key things I've, I've put a lot of attention into is like for customer service. So how metric helps teams with their customer service it does that in a few ways like one thing is that there's apps for zendesk for help scout for freshdesk for a bunch of them where in those support platforms it'll show you information about the customer that you're replying to and that information about the customer comes from metric um again like that's not really anything to do with kpis um or reporting but at the same time it helps them run their store more efficiently uh and that's how i sort of convince them of the need for the product and and it's something that like it's really funny for me because a lot of users i talk to it's it is definitely a process to kind of get them to see the value at first just because they sign up and like it's not like people in the woocommerce and wordpress space while there are some the majority are not thinking about this kind of stuff as you said like it's just, it's a thought at the back of their mind so once they sign up i i try to work with every customer um, if they want to, if they, they're happy to chat with me just to kind of figure out the key metrics for them, um, 
the key parts of metrics that are useful for them and, and then sort of guide them to that point just because it helps them um, succeed with the product. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that you brought up just because there's so much, there's, it's such a like kind of broad area. Like while you're building a product and have to educate people on it, what's the best way to do it? How do you do it? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, by the way, this is something with, with regards to productivity. Have you built everything yourself? Because like I'm, uh, the, the chat pops up as well when I enter your <laughs> site and you're available to chat. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> funny. doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they have clones or what, what's going on here? Uh, don't worry, I'm not online. It just pops up and says like, hey, I want to <laughs> chat. And you'll send a message and then it's going to see I'm not online. It's going to say, all right, Bryce will get back to you later. <laughs> Yeah, so I do do everything myself at the moment. My uh, girlfriend helps out with a lot of like the illustration and branding parts to it, which is really great because <laughs> it's hard to do everything. Um, but in terms of the actual product, that's all me at the moment. It's not by choice. Like, you know, when you're bootstrapping, you use what the resources that you have. Um, yep. But it's been enough to get the job done so far. All right. So let's talk about like one question that my team had for you like when i told them mm -hmm. that i'm going to be interviewing you was about kpis and like for an e-commerce business like people selling themes or plugins what are the major kpis that we need to be looking at on a daily or weekly basis yeah yeah good question if you had to select the most important ones the key one i just think it's it's so valuable is um to know and really have a good like understanding of is ltv so it's like the value of a customer over their lifetime um, averaged out of your whole store. Like it's not useful to know one customer's LTV. Um, but then as well, also knowing what's the highest LTV, like how much could a customer potentially be worth and what's the lowest one? So that, that spectrum. Um, but then, hmm, it's a good question. Knowing like your average order value, average um, order items, those are really key ones because once you know like the average order value, again, like it helps you uh, determine if you want to acquire, let's say not new customers, but new orders, like how much do you want to invest in getting a single order? Um, but also it can help you find like these trends where let's say the average order items is maybe 1.5, like something it's low. It's like between one and two, um, but your store is something, it has a lot of products that aren't, like it's not like you only sell a $500 product. Maybe you have lots of 10 or $20 products you're in a position there where it's like quite valuable to raise your average order items from like 1.5 to 2.5 because another item is going to mean um, the average order value goes up and, and everything kind of goes up with that. Um, so I guess like really like key part to using KPIs is, is finding gaps in your business and, and just like small opportunities for big wins. So it's kind of like finding gold in like a, a mine. Like if you just got to, have all that data in a clear way where it's easy to understand and then all of a sudden it's like really clear <laughs> about these kind of things that weren't um <laughs> weren't like on your mind before um that's that those are ones that come to mind there are a lot um of useful ones though that maybe not every store needs but depending on the kind of store can be really valuable um just for example just just to interrupt you oh, for yeah. a second there now that you were mentioning like finding the gaps that could increase the performance of the business one of the major reasons why we needed to to implement KPIs in our business was when we started hitting 
um, that plateau in, in, in sales. So when you're getting an increase of 10, 20% every month, everything is great. Yeah. <laughs> Revenue's uh, growing. Let's go out and celebrate. Yeah. When it plateaus, you start like scratching your head and trying to find what you can do to eke out more, you know, revenue. So th these are, the, this is when you start looking at the KPIs that you mentioned, like the lifetime value, the average number of orders and yeah. potentially implement stuff like uh, the re related product so they can add stuff in their checkout, stuff like that. But you need to have the, the KPIs, obviously. So yeah, exactly. That was just from our experience. Excuse me. Yeah, like, you know, it's... When you're growing something, you have that momentum. It's really easy just to, as it was a big theme of the uh, conversation before, like it's easy to get comfortable. Um, but yeah, having those reminders, which can sometimes come in the form of, you know, having a bad month or having a very average month, um, they kind of make you realize, well, this there's a lot more to just this than just luck and like momentum. You need to actually have some strategy and, and, and put a lot of thought into like, where the gaps are and, and not just gaps but where the opportunities um i i've kind of it's not really what it wasn't the original focus of metric but as the product developed like one of the key things i started putting a lot of time into was just the interface for interacting with your resources by resource i mean orders customers products um categories if you're running woocommerce subscriptions like your subscriptions like having all of those in one place but then being able to filter through them and, and kind of go down to a more like individual resource level. Um, so if you've got all your products there, just being able to sort the products by how much they've done in revenue, that's something you can't do in WooCommerce, but just being able to do that lets you see, okay, what's my best selling product and what are my worst selling ones? How much, if you can, you look at your worst sellers and see like there's one that like hasn't sold one in three months, but you've got those costs having it in your warehouse, the stock getting old, like, or it could be a digital product where it's like you're advertising it and no one's buying it. Like you need to know those those numbers. Like to me, it's something that it seems very obvious, but only because I've been working with it for so long. Um, but I can definitely think back and like kind of put myself in the shoes of Bryce a couple of years ago where I never even thought about those things. Like it didn't matter. Or um, LTV or best-selling products, those kind of things were just like, it'd be cool to know, but I didn't really appreciate how you can use that information to to actually make changes that increase revenue yeah i mean there's a lot of interesting things one can only find out uh, when you have like a system in place things like even which countries your products are being bought from bought from and the differences in how each country is purchasing your products yeah say one thing that i observed over time just by by watching stuff rather than having a system was that um, customers in uh, lower pay countries would instead of buying a five site license would buy more the one site license and presumably just copy it out to the other sites yeah and so you start thinking like can we do something there not to make it so difficult for them and yeah fair enough. also you know fix this yeah <laughs> and that would only come about by observing things with a tool like this exactly you're not going to just have like an epiphany one day where it's like you're in the shower and oh yeah. that's an issue no <laughs> you need to like invest time in in finding those things out yourself like it's not going to come to you automatically um <laughs> But like definitely one of the directions I want to head with metric and where I'd love to see it in just even a few months is where not only is it providing a way to like find those insights yourself, but to automatically find them. Like I want to be able to just email you and say, yeah, yeah this is an issue. You should fix that. Or um, I do 
some integrations like Google Analytics where I can compare your view your views um, on the site to, and users on the site to like how much your actual um, revenue you have. So by doing that, I can find out your historical conversion rates, which is pretty cool. So how I look at that is if you're like, let's say you're running a store for a year, you've been tracking Google Analytics, then you sign up to Metric. Straight away, I pull in all your data and all your conversion rates and, and I've calculated your conversion rate for mobile six months ago. I can then maybe tell you in a few months, okay, your conversion rate for mobile has gone from 20% down to 5%. Like there might be something broken on mobile. The experiences isn't that great or as it used to be like, but then I can go further and kind of compare what your conversion rate numbers are to all the other stores I have, their conversion rate and tell you if you're underperforming or overperforming, um, providing that kind of information uh, automatically and kind of just instinctively, like based on their store, that's where I feel like metric has, uh, like can just do so much good work. So I'm really excited for that. But the first part is definitely just like having the data in a way that's easy to report on and to understand. And then you can go further and just find the insights yourself, like as in metric finds it itself and just tells the customer what to do. Mm, that fits right in with an AI powered future as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, this is uh, something really, because like in our case, we gather all the data ourselves and I've already spoken with you. And the only reason why I'm not using this tool is that we're on easy digital downloads yeah. rather than WooCommerce. Yeah. But rather like the, the, the thing which really prevents us from taking decisions based on the data is that like you just spend so much time collecting the data that you don't really have time to see the correlations between different months of the year. Yeah, and, like it would be just so much better if I could just get an alarm when something is wrong. Exactly. Enough. Yeah, your time is really valuable. So, like, I think probably the most underlying, like, well, one of the most, if not the most valuable thing we have as individuals, right, is time. Like, how much we have in the day. It's limited. Um, money, while it's not infinite, it's something you can pretty much. None of us will ever reach a point where we have as much as possible. Like, it's there's always more to to go there. You could always do something else or work harder and like there will be more money to get. But time is something that, you know, we have 24 hours in the day, uh, 365 days in a year. Like those are things that can't be disputed and you can't just magically have 48 hours in the day. So I think with any tool and especially with metric, like if I can give people back their time, to me, that's even more valuable than make, helping them make more money. Because as I said, like you can always get more money but you can't get more time. Um, so, okay, yeah, sure. I'm doing a couple things to help with that now, like those customer service tools, but ultimately like providing those automated insights, making them, if I, if I can get to a point where they only view the dashboard like once a week, instead of like most users now view it like several times a day, every day, I think that would be a good thing because I'm like now, that, that must mean I'm sending them enough information by email or Slack to help them run their store without them even having to go in and figure it out themselves. So yeah, definitely time is time is like my key KPI, <laughs> my KPI. Yeah. <laughs> and on the same topic, uh, one of the other questions my team has uh, was how can you find problems with productivity using KPIs? Yeah. And I don't know if you've already implemented some stuff with Metric uh, about this topic, but in general, like what KPI should we be looking at to improve productivity within a team, for example? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think there are a few like immediate ones that stand out to me. Like if, if you've got a team, you know, your revenue, then you can calculate your revenue per team member. Like 
over time, like how has that changed? When you started, maybe you were doing seven or eight thousand dollars per team member because it was just you, but then maybe your revenue was up to ten thousand a month, and then you've got three people, so revenue per like employee has dropped a lot. Um, again, like money isn't everything. Maybe there's a lot more at play, but I think that's a pretty significant thing, like to especially because you have to pay those employees, like knowing not just from a productivity point of view, but just um, the general running of the business, like how much are those employees uh, bringing in and how much can you pay them? Another one that comes to mind, like more, well, it really applies to any business, like customer support. Um, that's a really like easy way to measure an employee's productivity just because it's very clear, like their input and output is very transparent. How many tickets did they do today? How many hours did they spend on it? Like that's any support system will tell you that. Um, but then it can go further and it's something I really want to do with metric is like looking at a ticket and then looking at the order related to it. Was that ticket more costly than the order that it was even for? If your team spent, you know, three hours on it, like you've definitely, if it was just a $30 order and they've spent three hours, like I'm sure most people are getting paid more than $10 an hour for doing customer support. And then on top of that, there's the actual product. If it's digital, okay, there's no cost, but if it's a physical product, there are those inherent like stock, like cost of the stock. Like that's really bad. So those are like probably the two things that stand out. But I think, yeah, there are a bunch of ways. It's kind of just looking at the input and output, like how many hours or how much time have they put in and then what has been gotten out of it for the company, for customers, um, for them even. Yeah, I mean, this what you mentioned is one of the things that we discuss most in support in our Slack channel. Um, sometimes we have like people who spend like 20 tickets on and then I just go in and see what the product was and they spend $15, you know? Yeah, it's like, what <laughs> was the point? spend like hours... But, but it, you wouldn't know, you know, it's just, no. uh, my, my, my staff wouldn't necessarily have access to the order and uh, it's just a manual thing as well. So, and if it happens once, it's okay. Yeah. I don't mind helping a customer who has problems. Yeah. But if it's happening over and over, that means like the, the, the revenue is going down exactly. per, per employee and per customer too. But I think just like even talking to employees or, or like a customer support team and saying, okay, what... What is making, what is slowing you down right now? Is it um, a lack of information about the customer and their orders? Is it the support system we're using? Isn't that great? Like, would live chat help? Um, personally, for me, I do like, yeah, as you saw before, live chat where, um, okay, sure, it's it's a little taxing. Like, I've got to be, I might be in the middle of a pretty complicated project I'm coding. And then all of a sudden, I've got like someone talking to me and I've got to step out of that mindset and then like, talk to another human being maybe multiple ones at the same time um but like is it going to help me down the line sure because like i'm going to have that conversation then it's going to be done in five minutes the customer is going to get exactly what they wanted out of that conversation and, and might just go and sign up right then um but now i don't have more work to do after where it would have taken me maybe 20 minutes because i would have had that back and forward emailing them them emailing me and they might never 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 signed up so yeah experimenting though is probably a good way to to solve that like just trying like like if you're doing email only support try live chat if you're doing only live chat try email support see which one increases productivity mm. see test <laughs> and iterate on it yeah on the topic of live chat we recently implemented it as well on wprss aggregator and what we've found it is taxing and you know sometimes it can be a bit annoying because it keeps distracting you from stuff yeah but uh, 
it did speed up conversations, but most importantly, it added that element of conversation with clients that yes. like people were, were telling us, hey, I'm, I'm trying to buy, but you know, this button doesn't work as expected. Exactly. And that would never have come across through a ticket because they would just give up or never mention it. Yeah. So because they, are the things if, that we get from live chat. A lot of like products will say, okay, you can't contact us till you've made a purchase. But it's like, well, I want to yeah. contact you to make that purchase. Um, yeah, it's 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 a pretty like funny kind of catch twenty two where uh, you're trying to like be more efficient as a company, so you restrict who can contact you and what they can contact you about. But at the same time, like it's gonna hurt you. Like I, it all comes back to that like first thing I mentioned at the start of the conversation about like customer success. If you're if if, if like doing something goes against customer success, like if to me like limiting. Uh, support and like those interactions with customers until after the purchase is made that goes against it i won't do it but if if you have those, those conversations before and but it could even go the other way right like let's say in your case um someone's on the side and they want to purchase the product but they had a question about it and then they said to you okay does it do this and you're like no it doesn't firstly okay now they're not going to buy it and regret it secondly now you know a feature that they need and you might be able to implement it like those are two things you've just done to like increase overall customer success with just a conversation that might not have ever happened otherwise. And sometimes it has been the case where like people were evaluating five products and they just happened to come across our site and just asked us, do you have a, a thousand site license? And we're offering five, 10, 20 only. Mm. And, you know, we just replied there and then made them an offer, made a sale of like a thousand dollars. And mm. that would have, nef- have never happened if there wasn't live chat. So. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Plus, we know that people might need 1000 site licenses, which had never occurred to us. <laughs> so now. <I> exactly. Have- <laughs> yeah. We can improve. Um, do you have some real life examples of like how implementing KPIs changed an existing business that was running without kpis before mm. maybe from one of your clients or yeah that's something i i really <laughs> i really want to do that soon like more kind of customer stories where you can actually show that evidence and, and hear from users that have said like okay this helped me mm-hmm. um for metrics really only been live now maybe or oh, about three months now so there aren't as many as i'd like to have just because people are you know, just in their first couple months. Um, but yeah, I hear every day more about like how the kind of tools that it's providing are helping them be more efficient, especially support teams. Like I think they're a, a kind of minority in, in most companies where um, they're seen as essential, sure, but they're not treated as essential all the time or they're not like prioritized, like their priorities on more sales and all that stuff. But support team is really the backbone of most businesses. So I, I hear you know, quite a lot um, more than I expected from actual support members, like members in customer support on these teams where they've contacted me on the side in the live chat. They're just like saying, thank you for like helping me be more efficient and saving me time here. Um, yeah, but I think over, hopefully over the next few months, I'll, I'll kind of have more stories from actual customers that have you know, seen the, those numbers and now improve them. Uh, but also I hope that I'm able to kind of do that without even interacting with the customers. Like I've got the data. If I could just run a report and see, okay, of all the metric users, what is the average growth in this KPI over the last three months? If I can see that's going up, I, at least I know metrics doing its job. If it's going down, okay, I need to start 
you know, talking to more customers and see what is it doing wrong or is there something else like other factors, maybe they've slowed down their business. Like, so I think that's going to be a pretty, I wouldn't say manual process, but um, it's going to be a process just where I need to invest the time in looking at the change in those numbers and, and figuring out or identifying like what's causing those, the change. Is it a good change, bad change? Yeah. As I review my questions, I I just uh, remembered that you have two good posts on your blog. One is called What is Success for a Metric? And the other one is Underestimating the Unknown. Yeah. And these tie into my question, my earlier question about like how can you can plan w- with when it's unknown, you know, like you're launching a new product and everything's unknown. Yeah. How do you plan that? Yeah. And tie to that, what, what does success look like? Yeah. So the big topic. We, we, we touched briefly on that, but for listeners who want to like see your thoughts about that in more depth, I highly suggest these two blog posts. Thank you. Yeah, I've got it's a it's at like metric.com slash behind. So it's kinda of like the behind the scenes blog, I guess. Um there yeah, those are those are pretty fun to write. I kinda of wish I had more done at the moment. Like I wanna have blog posts kind of detailing the whole process, like everything that I'm going through, but it's it, it is you know i'm sure you know like writing blog posts takes time and and also writing ones that are, are real not just like i want to when i write something i want it to be um really what's on my mind and i want it to actually like give them like real value and, and stuff to act on um but yes yeah, if they keep if people that are listening keep an eye on that those those two are i was pretty proud of them and they'll definitely be more out there soon I'm subscribed myself. And, uh, I'm <laughs> really like, like the one. Uh, the one thing I like is also because it's a SaaS kind of product, and I'm not subscribed to many people who blog about SaaS specifically within the WordPress community. So yeah, there isn't much of us. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree with you in your post where you said the future of WordPress plugins is not in a zip file. I, I believe something like that. Yeah, and. While I don't think it's for every plugin, no, for plugins like yours, not. it's definitely the way to go. Yeah. As long as like the priorities, okay, will this help customers succeed? Like as long as that is the main thought, it answers everything. And it's a really magical question once you start asking it to yourself because all of a sudden things become a lot clearer. Like will making this as a SaaS help them succeed? Yes or no? If the answer is no, make a plugin. That's fine. Um, but it's something I only kind of realized recently and I'm just, trying to bring it into my life as much as possible in every decision I make. Hmm. And so for those listening and who are interested in SaaS like me, if I had to like finish up this interview with two questions, yeah, I think it would be very helpful for people like us. So one is when the, how do you decide between building a plugin? I mean, a plugin, which is in a zip file yeah. or <laughs> a SaaS. <laughs> and secondly, I'm everybody's familiar with the PHP GS code that goes into a plugin. There's thousands of plugins you can follow and have an example. You can even fork other plugins. But SaaS for me is like something totally new. It's a blank page. I have no idea how to start. What are the elements of a SaaS business? What do I need to learn in terms of coding, tools, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And even in terms of an e-commerce system, like what do I use for that? Is it same WooCommerce or is it something else? How do I go about it? Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So yeah. How do you make that decision to start with? Yeah. Um, it really depends. Like, uh, hmm. if it's, if it's got to do with data and like kind of just doing big picture things that take up a lot of like general computer processing time and, and resources, like 
yeah, SaaS is going to be a better option. Um, there's, there's a lot of people, and this has been something that's happened in the WordPress space for a long time, where it's a plugin that interacts with an external API, or maybe even the people that made the plugin made like a kind of closed SaaS API outside of it. Um, some that come to mind might be like one set compressed images. Um, so maybe they send the image off to their own service and they do it outside of it and send it back. Yeah, that's that's like WordPress. There are those limitations where not everything can be done through the API built into it or the API built into WooCommerce. So you need to have a plugin. Metric itself has a plugin. Like there are just, there are limitations to like what data I can provide to Metric um, automatically through the API. So I need my plugin there to kind of give that extra information. Um, and also just to fix general API bugs and inconsistencies in earlier versions. So everyone I talk to about like um, building a WordPress SaaS, I, I warn them, I, I say like, okay, you're probably going to need a plugin. That's okay. But build, the key thing, I guess, is just making that experience as smooth as possible. Um, in Metrics case, like when you set it up, the first thing I do is just ask you, okay, what's your website? Then I do all the checks so I can tell you straight away if it's compatible, um, and just get you to that next step where I send you to your site and you say, okay, like I'll give metric permission to access my site. At that point, that's when I say, okay, cool. Now I need you to install this plugin. I have a button they click. It opens a pop-up to their site, to the plugin page on their admin where they literally just have to click the install button for my plugin and activate. And then it's done. Everything else is taken care of. I haven't made them download a zip file. I haven't made them input like a license key. Like those are all steps I've saved them. Um, and it's less work for me. But yeah, as you mentioned, like to try and decide like if it's the best case, I think that's going to be up to the individual. But it also like ties into like what you said, where SaaS might be like something they're not used to or they're not comfortable with, so they just don't know what to do. If that's the case, like and and a plugin works, like do a plugin, sure. Like I mean, you can only do what um, you're capable of doing at that time. Uh, I know a lot of people that have really kind of successful WordPress plugins already or they're you know been running like ones that are starting to become successful and they're now saying to themselves okay how can I bring SaaS into it like how can I bring that concept of um, a monthly subscription and software running on my own server like that's what a SaaS is how can I bring that into it while still maintaining the plugin because people are using the plugins I think that's okay yeah for sure um, again as long as like whatever your next action is or your next like move as a product and company is has the the interest of customers like at the front like as long as what you're doing will help them your customers then that's the best solution um but yeah i mean i do think about sometimes um that blog post i wrote that you mentioned about like what the future of wordpress not being easy and it is really funny like when like 2017 now like we have like so much technology around us things have come such a long way and they keep going and like still if you're running a wordpress site you have to download a zip file and that's no one's fault um really it's just like the, it compounds over years where it becomes an easier solution the community encourages it like that's fine um but i mean you look at like apps on your phone you click a button and it installs it and then all the updates come for the rest of your life without you having to do anything. That's a really good experience. I want the WordPress experience to be more like that. Um, anyway, so that, that was that. But then you kind of mentioned about like, yeah, if you haven't done SaaS, like what's the first step? If I might just add on the previous point, because it's true, you know, like we had email, uh, like support emails saying like, I downloaded the zip file to my desktop and you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> and then we're like, 
yeah but i guess this is a real problem you know at the end of the day sure. like, it, it's tough for someone using wordpress for the same for the first time for example like to make the connection it's obvious for us but for new users it's it's not at all you know exactly and another thing is looking at wordpress is going if we're going to be using the rest api and building custom dashboards like wp admin which wouldn't be wp admin then what will become of our plugins which are so tightly integrated with wp admin exactly so on the other hand if we keep on using wp admin if everybody is building ss then i'm gonna have 20 tabs open every day yeah <laughs> just to no you're right manage so, my plugins so really it really depends it depends on the product but it also depends on yeah if it's going to help you um and if everyone doing a SaaS is going to result in you having like 20 tabs open sending a lot more money maybe that's not really going to help um but you can do so much more with a SaaS. like metric does like all these features that i know like encompasses maybe 10 different plugins that woocommerce have that do it so yeah there, there are trade-offs but um i'm kind of confident that going forward if people invest more time in building SaaS sort of products you'll be able to build more features in a simpler way without it being too much bloat it, it might be a little bit pricier but it'll encompass the features of 10 different plugins so that's a lot of money saved so yeah it'll kind of evolve naturally i like to think but <laughs> i mean even if yeah, no yeah one, i think like yeah, a, go ahead in terms of plugins or products which do a lot of reporting or processing yeah those are definitely big candidates for building a SaaS for but the one you mentioned um like just in terms of like products you're doing and and just a lot of the products that come to mind like just for example if there was a, a plugin that added a favicon or google analytics code okay th those are going to be plugins like there's no doubt about it you're not going to install a SaaS, pay like 20 dollars a month to put an icon in your site <laughs> um yeah it's completely it's definitely like related to what the product does if it's the best decision uh it's not like a one-size-fits-all kind of thing and so moving on to the technology behind building ss like what we should what should we be aware of i mean you do what you're comfortable with there are a lot of like great frameworks out there for building sas with ruby i don't know ruby on rails i, I don't know it I'm, i haven't done much with it before maybe i could learn it but it wouldn't make sense for me to go and spend six months learning something to do something to do it to build a whole product that i might build in a couple of months so um first thing start with what you know if you have a good background in a certain technology it makes sense to use that uh for a lot of probably the listeners and, and me personally that background was in wordpress so uh php javascript like the standard elements of what makes up a wordpress site uh, so i want to use that for this product because i knew it already i didn't need a whole learn a whole new thing um i'd had fortunately a lot of experience well not a lot but enough with laravel uh, which is a php framework it's definitely not comparable to wordpress like wordpress is a whole uh, it's like kind of like a cms it's an admin there's themes it's, it's a huge community you don't really have to know any code to use wordpress what laravel is like you want to build an application it might be the next wordpress or it might be a simple app that i don't know sends you a notification when something happens it, you're doing everything in code um but I was pretty comfortable with it. I built a couple like kind of like free apps in my spare time with it before and used it inside of Automatic for a couple of projects. So it made sense to me to use that. Um, and they have this uh, framework called Spark, which is like, if you want to start a SaaS, it gives you the foundation. Um, by foundation, I mean like the team member system, um, subscription billing, a lot of the features that take a long time to build, like 
for me to build a team system in metric where you can have different members of your team with different permissions and stuff that would take at least a couple of weeks i didn't want to spend a couple of weeks on it um to do it properly so luckily fortunately that that um framework does that for you there are a lot of different ones out there like that it doesn't have to be that one um but definitely like starting with the framework helps and then of course using like a language that you're familiar with i think the key part to any sasso is pretty much you're providing software right it's going to happen on your server it might interact with their site depending on the product but it might be a to-do list app and that one has nothing to do with their site so let's just put it like that so you're building your know, software it's on your site um, it may interact with your site um, your site outside of it like as a customer but it may not and then normally SaaS um, products because there is an ongoing cost for the pe- person making it um, the server the resources everything it's not like a plugin where you give them the file and let them use it for as long as you want because it doesn't cost you anything a SaaS costs you every month so um, you need something in place to handle recurring billing whether that's monthly or annually um, or a different period and then you need like user accounts and different like permissions and stuff so they only see the data on your service that relates to them once you've got those like few parts of it that's all you really need like going further you can have team system you can have per user pricing you can have apis and and have apps on android and iphone like you can do that but those things aren't essential so it's better to like have the core foundation of the app which is the recurring billing and like the user accounts once you've got that in place like you can keep going further but that part isn't really out of reach for a lot of wordpress developers like i was able to do it without that much experience in that space and i know a lot of others that have like i think it's just really a matter of grasping the underlying like concept okay i need to charge recurring um i need to have those user accounts and once you kind of wrap your head around that the rest kind of falls into place right so, so laravel spark would be what you used to build metric yeah um a lot of uh, like not all of it but um a lot of like key parts of it helped me out a lot <laughs> mainly like things that come to mind uh, yeah the billing and the team system right so you're not using wordpress at all and building um, no yeah I, the first one i mentioned earlier on um no mess which i'd done while i was at wordpress that was actually completely wordpress it was like a plugin <laughs> that pretty much added the functionality i use woocommerce and woocommerce subscriptions in the background to handle it so yeah that's an option for sure for me the wordpress was it felt like it was more of a constraint than it didn't give me freedom you know it put me in a prison where i was limited by how how it's outlined its database like the structure and and kind of all the baggage that comes with it um sure like it's no different using any other framework you're always going to be taking on a little bit of baggage but yeah in my case it made sense to use laravel so the obvious question is how are you tracking stuff oh yeah on metric good question um <laughs> Yeah, like because Metric doesn't use WooCommerce, I couldn't technically use Metric to track Metric. <laughs> um, maybe down the line, if, yeah, if I had an API, I could. Um, but there are a lot of like really great products out there if you run a SaaS business. And by that, I mean like you use like Stripe or Braintree, you have subscriptions set up in there um, and you charge people on a monthly or annual basis. Again, like that's not how WooCommerce subscriptions even works. Like most of the subscription plugins for WordPress, they have the subscription managed inside of WordPress and then they charge on their own um, schedule. So it's not really an option um, for them. But in my case, because I charge, I have like subscriptions saved in Stripe and I use those to charge customers. Um, there are quite a few good options out there. Um, personally, I use one called ProfitWell. 
it's one one thing I really love about it is that it's free because it really is just like it'll just calculate some metrics for you like your monthly recurring revenue average customer value that's all it's not like and it's it's pretty funny as an analytics product to be using another analytics product for my own analytics um which of course like makes sense now that I've explained it but um yeah it's it's kind of interesting to see how other analytics companies charge based on that one thing i love about like how profit world does it it's free because it is really simple and it's not like the kind of tool set and features that metric provides to a store in a, like with the in- integrations and stuff but it does that part really well and that's what i need it for but then how they as a company make money is they charge um for this add-on i think they've got a couple but the main one is um for recovering revenue loss from like failed mm. subscriptions and stuff um so I think they call it retention. So yeah, if you, if you had a subscriber and their credit card failed, it's a whole system that will like contact them. And, and that's where they make money because that's their product that makes you money. So in turn, they're able to make money off you. Like with anything, if yeah. if it's a, a business profits from your product, they'll happily pay for the product. Um, which is why I don't think analytics is enough to offer people. Like they won't pay for it. And which is why I have those other features because I need to make them money if I want them to pay me if I want to make money, if I want them to pay me. Hmm, very interesting. So like ProfitWell is a very good example of the freemium model yeah. <laughs> built into a SaaS business. 100%. I, and in their case, I think all, having all that data is a benefit to them because they can use that data to like generate more. They do a lot of like these really cool blog posts and reports talking about it and having that data is what makes those those reports possible. Um, I, I know of some other uh, like reporting businesses where they offer freemium where they like made it free maybe up to a certain number of orders a month or maybe they made it free with certain features it didn't work out for them because data wasn't what they wanted out of the customer they wanted a conversion (laughs) so yeah i think that ties into it awesome so like my final wish would be for a metric to work with (laughs) if you're not building it maybe one of our listeners can build it (laughs) (laughs) i will probably have an api soon that people can use um look yeah, down the line, definitely I'm going to integrate with other platforms. Um, for a long time, I didn't think I would, but there are, as you said, like look, you're running EDD, there are lots of stores using Shopify. Like these are platforms, regardless, they all have the same intention to help people sell. Um, and I don't think there is a one size fits all. So, and I don't want to be the kind of guy to say, well, you don't deserve this, like, because you're not using this platform. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, so many people ask me for EDD integration. I'll probably do it at some point. It's really just a matter of like time. Um, but it's not something I've, I've turned my head to. Like, I want to do it for sure. Awesome. So, yeah, it's been really interesting. Uh, Bryce, um, any parting comments that you want to share with our audience? Uh, yeah, I mean, basically just like if you're into what I've been talking about, um, check out metric, metric.com, but also like come follow me on Twitter. Um, twitter.com slash bryce adams um yeah i like to tweet a lot there and and i really i just love like talking to people in this space um so just yeah get in contact and we'll chat awesome are you going to be speaking at conferences anytime soon oh that's a good question um maybe <laughs> i'm trying to take a step or back attending because, conferences yeah now that i'm like completely self-funded right it's a lot it's definitely a lot easier to go to conferences when you have a company paying for it <laughs> um i I'd, i want to go to WordCamp europe i'm not sure if that'll happen yet this year it still might um otherwise i'll definitely try go to a few more WordCamps camps in asia uh, one that 
I'm really considering is like WordCamp Sri Lanka. Um, there's a good mm-hmm. community there, so it'd be really cool to go there. Maybe WordCamp Singapore. Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully as metric grows, so to my ability to like travel to more conferences. Um, even just, yep. put, like, yeah, I'd love on a personal level just to go to more like SaaS conferences. Um, there are so many. So yeah. I think it's always important, right, to take a step out of your um, like community and, and sort of see the bigger picture and go to different conferences and stuff like that. So that's something I'd love to do. Which are the main SaaS ones? Oh, um, I can't even remember. They all have like SaaS. It's like a play on words with like SaaS in it. <laughs> um, mm. There is one, can't remember the name, but there's one. Oh, there is one called MicroConf, which I've really wanted to go to for a yeah, long time. I was um, going to mention that because yeah. I, I went to the MicroConf Europe uh, oh, edition. Oh, awesome. How was it? And uh, yeah, everybody was all about SaaS. It was really interesting. A lot of things that I could apply within yeah. our own plugin business, but yeah, with lots of SaaS businesses there. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. It was very interesting as well as their podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, their podcast startups for the rest of us is that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. What I liked about MicroConf is that they're like small businesses mostly. So relatable. It's not this huge. Yeah, yeah. Very relatable and people are very open and sharing their their revenues and inside stuff. Yeah. So that was really awesome. And it was just 10 minutes from my house <laughs> that I'm living in Barcelona. <laughs> Very convenient. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Thanks again, Bryce, for being with us. People know how to contact you. So, yeah. And if you made it this far, thank you for listening. <laughs> and, yeah. and good luck with Metric. I appreciate it. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Bryce for being with us today. And if you'd like to support mastermind.fm, please go ahead and leave a five-star review in iTunes or even send us whatever questions you have or if you have any guests that you'd like us to interview or even if you have just generic questions or topics that you'd like us to tackle, you can email all those to podcast at mastermind.fm. You can find me at Jean Galea on Twitter and I remind you that our regular co-host James Laws will also be available on on Twitter at James Laws and JamesLaws.com, while my own personal site is JeanGalea.com. Of course, our podcast website is Mastermind.fm. With that said, I'll see you in the next episode of Mastermind.fm. See you. Mm-hmm.